scene and story collection volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the valley of the shadow of death chapter twenty seven from for the term of his natural life by marcus clark narration by beth thomas jemmy vetch the crow read by ali kazerani gabbett read by trementem alec sanders the moocher read by mark chulski greenhill read by tim wash tom bonham read by Gwen o'brien port arthur australia eighteen thirty eight it was not until they had scrambled up the beach to safety that the absconders became fully aware of the loss of another of their companions as they stood on the break of the beach wringing the water from their clothes gabbett's small eye counting their number missed the stroke oar where's cox the fool fell overboard said jemmy vetch shortly he never had as much sense in that skull of his as would keep it sound on his shoulders gabbett scowled that's three of us gone he said in the tones of a man suffering some personal injury they summed up their means of defence against attack sanders and greenhill had knives gabbett still retained the axe in his belt vetch had dropped his musket at the neck and bodenham and cornelius were unarmed let's have a look at the tucker said vetch there was but one bag of provisions it contained a piece of salt pork two loaves and some uncooked potatoes signal hill station was not rich in edibles that ain't much said the crow with a rueful face is it gabbett it must do anyway returned the giant carelessly the inspection over the six proceeded up the shore and encamped under the lee of a rock bodenham was for lighting a fire but vetch who by tacit consent had been chosen leader of the expedition forbade it saying that the light might betray them they'll think we're drowned and won't pursue us he said so all that night the miserable wretches crouched fireless together morning breaks clear and bright and free for the first time in ten years they comprehend that their terrible journey has begun where are we to go how are we to live asked bodenham scanning the barren bush that stretches to the barren sea gabbett you've been out before out at dawn we'll make the shepherds huts and live on their tucker till we get a change of clothes said gabbett evading the main question we can follow the coastline steady lads said prudent vetch we must sneak round yon sand-hills and so creep into the scrub if they've a good glass at the neck they can see us it does seem close said bodenham i could pitch a stone on the guard-house good-bye you body spot he adds with sudden rage shaking his fist vindictively at the penitentiary i don't want to see you no more to the day of judgment vetch divides the provisions and they travel all that day until dark night the scrub is prickly and dense their clothes are torn their hands and feet bleeding already they feel outwearied no one pursuing they light a fire and sleep the second day they come to a sandy spit that runs out into the sea and find that they have got too far to the eastward and must follow the shore-line to east bay neck back through the scrub they drag their heavy feet that night they eat the last crumb of the loaf 
the third day at high noon after some toilsome walking they reach a big hill now called collins mount and see the upper link of the earring the isthmus of the east bay neck at their feet a few rocks are on their right hand and blue in the lovely distance lies hated maria island we must keep to the eastward said greenhill or we shall fall in with the settlers and get taken so passing the isthmus they strike into the bush along the shore and tightening their belts over their gnawing bellies camp under some low-lying hills the fourth day is notable for the indisposition of Bodenham, who is a bad walker, and falling behind delays the party by frequent cooees. Gabbett threatens him with a worse fate than sore feet if he lingers. Luckily that evening Greenhill espies a hut, but not trusting to the friendship of the occupant, they wait until he quits it in the morning, and then send Vetch to forage fetch secretly congratulating himself on having by his counsel prevented violence returns bending under half a bag of flour you'd better carry the flour said he to gabbett and give me the axe gabbett eyes him for a while as if struck by his puny form but finally gives the axe to his mate sanders that day they creep along cautiously between the sea and the hills camping at a creek vetch after much search finds a handful of berries and adds them to the main stock half of this handful is eaten at once the other half reserved for to-morrow the next day they come to an arm of the sea and as they struggle northward maria island disappears and with it all danger from telescopes that evening they reach the camping-ground by twos and threes and each wonders between paroxysm of hunger if his face is as haggard and his eyes as bloodshot as those of his neighbour on the seventh day bodenham says his feet are so bad he can't walk and greenhill with a greedy look at the berries bids him stay behind being in a very weak condition he takes his companion at his word and drops off about noon the next day gabbett discovering this defection however goes back and in an hour or so appears driving the wretched creature before him with blows as a sheep is driven to the shambles greenhill remonstrates at another mouth being thus forced upon the party but the giant silences him with a hideous glance jimmy vetch remembers that greenhill accompanied gabbett once before and feels uncomfortable he gives hint of his suspicions to sanders but sanders only laughs it is horribly evident that there is an understanding among the three the ninth sun of their freedom rising upon sandy and barren hillocks bristling thick with cruel scrub sees the six famine-stricken wretches cursing their god and yet afraid to die all around is the fruitless shadeless shelterless bush above the pitiless heaven in the distance the remorseless sea something terrible must happen that grey wilderness arched by grey heaven stooping to grey sea is a fitting keeper of hideous secrets vetch suggests that oyster bay cannot be far to the eastward the line of the ocean is deceitfully close and though such a proceeding will take them out of their course they resolve to make for it after hobbling five miles they seem no nearer than before and nigh dead with fatigue and starvation sink despairingly upon the ground vetch thinks gabbett's eyes have a wolfish glare in them and instinctively draws off from him said greenhill in the course of a dismal conversation i am so weak that i could eat a piece of a man on the tenth day bodenham refuses to stir and the others being scarce able to drag along their limbs sit on the ground about him greenhill eyeing the prostrate man said slowly 
I have seen the same done before, boys, and it tasted like pork. Vetch, hearing his savage comrade give utterance to a thought all had secretly cherished, speaks out, crying, It would be murder to do it, and then perhaps we couldn't eat it. Oh? <laughs> said Gebbet with a grin. I'll warrant you that, but you must all have a hand in it. Gabbard, Sanders, and Greenhill then go aside, and presently Sanders, coming to the crow, said, He consented to act as flogger. He deserves it. So did Gabbard, for that matter, shudders Vetch. Hey, by Bodenham's feet are sore, said Sanders, and tis a pity to leave him. Having no fire, they make a little windbreak, and Vetch, half dozing behind this at about three in the morning, hears someone cry out, Christ! and awakes, sweating ice. No one but Gabbett and Greenhill would eat that night. That savage pair, however, make a fire, fling ghastly fragments on the embers, and eat the broil before it is right warm. In the morning the frightful carcass is divided. That day's march takes place in silence, and at midday halt Cornelius volunteers to carry the billy, affecting great restoration from the food. Vetch gives it to him, and in half an hour afterwards Cornelius is missing. Gabbett and Greenhill pursue him in vain, and return with curses. "'He'll die like a dog,' said Greenhill, "'alone in the bush.' Jemmy Vetch, with his intellect acute as ever, thinks that Cornelius may prefer such a death, but says nothing. The twelfth morning dawns wet and misty, but Vetch, seeing the provision running short, strives to be cheerful, telling stories of men who have escaped greater peril. Vetch feels with dismay that he is the weakest of the party, but he has some sort of ludicro horrible consolation in remembering that he is also the leanest. They come to a creek that afternoon, and look until nightfall in vain for a crossing place. The next day Gabbett and Vetch swim across, and Vetch directs Gabbett to cut a long sapling, which being stretched across the water is seized by Greenhill and the Moocher, who are dragged over. What would you do without me? says the crow with a ghastly grin. They cannot kindle a fire, for Greenhill, who carries the tinder, has allowed it to get wet. The giant swings his axe in savage anger at enforced cold, and Vetch takes an opportunity to remark privately to him what a big man Greenhill is. On the fourteenth day they can scarcely crawl, and their limbs pain them. Greenhill, who is the weakest, sees Gabbett and the Moocher go aside to consult, and crawling to the crow whimpers, for God's sakes, Jemmy, don't let him murder me. I can't help you, says Vetch, looking about in terror. Think of poor Tom Bottenham. But he was no murderer. If they kill me, I shall go to hell with Tom's blood on my soul. He writhes on the ground in sickening terror, and Gabbett, arriving, bids Vetch bring wood for the fire. Vetch, going, hears Greenhill clinging to wolfish Gabbett's knees, and Sanders calls after him. You will hear it presently, Jem. The nervous crow puts his hand to his ears, but is conscious of a dull crash and a groan. When he comes back, Gabbett is putting on the dead man's shoes, which are better than his own. We'll stop here a day or so and rest, said he. Now we've got provisions. Two more days pass, and the three, eyeing each other suspiciously, resume their march. The third day, the sixteenth of their journey, such portions of the carcass as they have with them prove unfit to eat. 
they look into each other's famine-sharpened faces and wonder who's next we must all die together said sanders quickly before anything else must happen vetch marks the terror concealed in the words and when the dreaded giant is out of earshot says for god's sake let's go on alone alec you see what sort of a cove that gabbit is he'd kill his father before he'd fast one day they made for the bush but the giant turned and strode towards them vetch skipped nimbly to one side but gabbit struck the moocher on the forehead with the axe help jim help cried the victim cut but not fatally and in the strength of his desperation tore the axe from the monster who bore it and flung it to vetch keep it jemmy he cried let's have no more murder done they fare again through the horrible bush until nightfall when vetch in a strange voice called the giant to him he must die either you or he laughs gabbett give me the axe no no said the crow his thin malignant face distorted by a horrible resolution i'll keep the axe stand back you shall hold him and i'll do the job sanders seeing them approach knew his end was come and submitted crying give me half an hour to pray for myself they consent and the bewildered wretch knelt down and folded his hands like a child his big stupid face worked with emotion his great cracked lips moved in desperate agony he wagged his head from side to side in pitiful confusion of his brutalized senses i can't think other words jem pa snarled the cripple swinging the axe we can't starve here all night four days had passed and the two survivors of this awful journey sat watching each other the gaunt giant his eyes gleaming with hate and hunger sat sentinel over the dwarf the dwarf chuckling at his superior sagacity clutched the fatal axe for two days they had not spoken to each other for two days each had promised himself that on the next his companion must sleep and die vetch comprehended the devilish scheme of the monster who had entrapped five of his fellow beings to aid him by their deaths to his own safety and held aloof gabbett watched to snatch the weapon from his companion and make the odds even once and for ever in the daytime they travelled on each seeking a pretext to creep behind the other in the night-time when they feigned slumber each stealthily raising a head caught the wakeful glance of his companion vetch felt his strength deserting him and his brain overpowered by fatigue surely the giant muttering gesticulating and slavering at the mouth was on the road to madness would the monster find opportunity to rush at him and braving the blood-stained axe kill him by main force or would he sleep and be himself a victim unhappy vetch it is the terrible privilege of insanity to be sleepless on the fifth day vetch creeping behind a tree takes off his belt and makes a noose he will hang himself he gets one end of the belt over a bough and then his cowardice bids him pause gabbett approaches he tries to evade him and to steal away into the bush in vain the insatiable giant ravenous with famine and sustained by madness is not to be shaken off vetch tries to run but his legs bend under him the axe that has tried to drink so much blood feels heavy as lead he will fling it away no he dares not night falls again he must rest or go mad 
his limbs are powerless, his eyelids are glued together, he sleeps as he stands. This horrible thing must be a dream. He is at Port Arthur, or will wake on his pallet in the penny lodging house he slept at when a boy. Is that the deputy come to wake him to the torment of living? It is not time, surely not time yet. He sleeps, and the giant, grinning with ferocious joy, approaches on clumsy tiptoe and seizes the coveted axe. On the north coast of Van Diemen's Land is a place called St. Helen's Point, and a certain skipper, being in want of fresh water, landing there with a the boat's crew, found on the banks of the creek a gaunt and blood-stained man, clad in tattered yellow, who carried on his back an axe and a bundle. When the sailors came within sight of him, he made signs to them to approach, and opening his bundle with much ceremony, offered them some of its contents. Filled with horror at what the maniac displayed, they seized and bound him. At Hobart Town he was recognised as the only survivor of the nine desperadoes who had escaped from Colonel Arthur's natural penitentiary. End of Valley of the Shadow of Death